Right. If you have your Bibles with you, um, or if you have them uh, on your phone, turn to uh, Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. We're going to look at chapter 2 and in chapter 3. Um, believe it or not, we're going to move uh, in chapter 2, work our way into chapter 3 this morning as we continue uh, our series together. Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse number 23. Mark chapter 2, verse 23. Um, I will probably uh, talk quickly this morning, so hopefully you can uh, listen quickly with me uh, this morning. Mark chapter 2, verse 23. Uh, we are talking about the Sabbath, but this is not the time to take a Sabbath rest. Um, and by that I mean nap this morning, alright? Uh, stay with me. Uh, Mark chapter 2, verse 23. Let me just read it to you real quickly. Uh, Mark 2, verse 23, one Sabbath day, as Jesus was walking through some grain fields, his disciples began breaking off heads of grain to eat. But the Pharisees said to Jesus, look, why are they breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? Jesus said to them, haven't you ever read in the scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God during the days when Abathar was high priest and broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread bread that only the priests are allowed to eat. He also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, listen to this, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. Chapter 3, verse 1, then Jesus went into the synagogue again and noticed a man with a deformed hand. Since it was the Sabbath, Jesus' enemies watched him closely. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the deformed hand, come and stand in front of everyone. Then he turned to his critics and he asked, does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save life or, as Jesus says, to destroy it? But they wouldn't answer him. He looked around at them angrily and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. And then he said to them, or to the man, hold out your hands. The man, he stretched it out, and it was restored. And in verse 6, this is key. At once the Pharisees, they went away, and they met with the supporters of Herod to plot how to kill Jesus. Heavenly Father, as we spend the next few minutes together in your word, I pray that you would help me to speak your word with boldness, with clarity, with simplicity. And God, help me to decrease and help you to increase and be the focus of our time together today. Holy Spirit, I just pray that all across this room this morning that you would just soften our hearts to your word. Help us, Lord, even in this, um, through this narrative today to see, Lord, how it is that you want us to respond. And I pray that you would challenge each of our hearts today so that we would serve you, love you, um, you better, and your kingdom better, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now we come to really the fourth and final dispute that arose due to some action of Jesus or the action of his disciples. Today's text, we're looking at this fourth, really, dispute that will center around this, this subject matter, and it is this, the failure to keep and honor the Sabbath. I'm going to talk here in just a few minutes, and, and if you're one that, that likes really a little bit more context, I'm going to spend a little bit of time this morning kind of teaching us, because it's in order, in order for us to really understand the narrative here in Mark 2 and in Mark 3, and, and to really see what is behind the question of, of the Pharisees and really behind Jesus' answer, we, we need to understand how they understood the Sabbath. Because to be honest, 
about 2,000 years removed, it looks a little bit different in our culture today, and I don't think we have a full grasp uh, on what the Sabbath meant, especially for the Jews, especially for God's people. So in just a minute, I will unpack that a little bit more, but we're going to focus our time this morning around this really subject matter, and it was the failure of, of God's or of Jesus' disciples to keep and honor the Sabbath. That, that's what caused this dispute in the first place. Now, the past three or four weeks... Uh, we, we've looked at other disputes that have centered around the following events. Number one, um, when Jesus forgave the sins and healed the lame man. Remember, that, that really stirred some frustration among, uh, among the religious leaders. When, when Jesus, this man who does have authority, forgave the sins of the lame man. We also looked a few weeks ago when Jesus fellowshiped with sinners and with tax collectors. The Pharisees could not believe that Jesus would even associate with what they would deem the scum of the earth. It caused a riot, it caused some frustration, and then last week we looked at the subject matter. Uh, if you recall, Jesus' disciples, they were not fasting uh, as John's disciples did or as the Pharisees' disciples. That caused disputes among them. These disputes would actually, this, these four disputes that we've looked at over the last several weeks, they find their climax in a rather strange turn of events. If you have your Bibles, keep your Bibles still open this morning because I'll point to a few scriptures uh, as we move through our narrative or move through this text. But in the very last verse I read, Mark 3, verse 6, says that once the Pharisees, they went away and they met with the supporters of Herod to plot how to kill Jesus. So now we're not even three, really three chapters in uh, to, to the story and the life of Jesus. And, and because of everything that's unfolding, because Jesus associates with, with the scum of the earth, and because he, he's healing lame man and he's forgiving sins, all of a sudden there is this sense where they want to destroy, they want to get rid of Jesus. So the Pharisees, they, they then go to the supporters of Herod who plot how they can kill Jesus. Now, I want you to get this picture. You, you have the unholy Herodians who are going to join efforts with these pious and religious extremists. Now, to really put it in our terms today, if you're a football fan, this would be like the Cleveland Browns and the Pittsburgh Steelers coming together. All right, that doesn't happen, right? That doesn't happen. No, not at all. It doesn't matter if there's a common enemy, enemy involved. Those two groups of people don't come together. The same would be true here in our text. For, for the Herodians, the people of Herod, the followers of Herod, to, to join forces with the religious extremists, the Pharisees, that would, been, that would have been unheard of. But they did come together. And it was not truth that brought them together. Instead, it was the pursuit of this self-interest. And really, they shared a common enemy. Their enemy, in this particular case, was Jesus. Though misinterpreted or altogether neglected, the principle of the Sabbath, I believe, has great implications for 21st century Christians. I want to spend just a few minutes, and I'll try to give this to you quickly. This may not interest you at all, but again, in order for us to truly understand the heart behind the, the question and the concern of the Pharisees, as well as Jesus' response, we have to know the, the significance of the Sabbath for the Jews, for God's people. Why, why did it mean so much to them? So I want to begin this morning just briefly talking about the weight of the Sabbath observance within Judaism. 
want to point you to several places. First of all, Sabbath in Hebrew, Shabbat, means rest, was first introduced to us in Scripture in the creation narrative. And it was then later given as a part of the law. We see this in Genesis chapter 2. It says, On the seventh day God had finished His work of creation, so He rested from all of His work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, because it was the day when He rested from all of His work of creation. Later on, a couple... Um, not just a couple of chapters. Um, later on in Exodus, when God's people are given the law on Mount Sinai, see in Exodus chapter 20, verse 8, here are, here's one of the Ten Commandments that, were, that was given to God's people. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Now, just as a side note real quickly, uh, for the Jews, uh, the Sabbath is not on Sunday. Um, Christians worship on Sunday due to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Sabbath... The day that they honor, the day that they celebrated, actually began at sunset on Friday and would last until sunset on Saturday. So basically when the sun went down on Friday night all the way until the sun went down on Saturday on Saturday night, they were to honor this Sabbath day. They were to keep it holy. They were to cease from any type of work. And we'll talk a little bit more about what that looked like within their culture. Uh, it became for the Jews, it became really this sacred observance within the Jewish way of life. There are various forms, and I'm not going to bore you too much with it, but there were various forms of Jewish literature that really spoke at great lengths regarding the Sabbath. If you want to, if you want to understand a little bit more uh, behind why they did what they did, you can read into some of these, these pieces of literature. There's what is called the Talmud. It's really the central text of rabbinic Judaism and was really the source of religious law for uh, for the Jewish people. Within this particular text, there it, it proclaimed that the Sabbath was to be a holy ordinance of God. It ordains that whoever observes, observes the Sabbath becomes a partner with God in creation and in salvation. Another text called the Mishnah was really the first major written collection of oral Jewish traditions. Uh, I want you to know we, they didn't have... Way back when, everything was passed down orally for many years, for decades, for centuries. But eventually, when they began to record and pull together all of these, these traditions and ways of life, um, it, it was collected in what was referred to as the Mishnah. The Mishnah would address complete Sabbath regulations. What did it look like for Jewish people to honor and to keep this Sabbath day holy? Uh, within the Mishnah, within this particular text, they, it, it had a fondness for really the negatives. Talked a lot about not working or ceasing from this activity or don't do this. And, and sometimes I, I think as human beings, when uh, at least in, in, maybe as kids, when, when you're told not to do something, sometimes it kind of, it, it kind of uh, interests us a little bit more, right? When, when we're told don't do this, we're like, well, now I want to, I didn't want to do it before, but now I do. And so within the Mishnah, though, we see that there were several of these negatives. Don't do this. Don't work. Don't do this activity. Cease from this type of activity. It portrayed a harsh and very strict legalism. There were actually within the Mishnah 39 categories of work that were forbidden. For example, they weren't allowed to plow on the Sabbath day. They weren't allowed to hunt on the Sabbath day. They were not allowed, listen, to tie more than one knot on the Sabbath day. So, so some very specific regulations that were given that, that really formed their way of life. So when they honored, when they kept this day holy, there were some very specific things that they 
didn't do. Didn't so much talk about what they should be doing. It just talked about what they weren't allowed to do. There was another body of literature called, and some of us maybe refer or know of the Dead Sea Scrolls, ancient Jewish and Hebrew manuscripts. Dead Sea Scrolls, when it came to Sabbath prohibitions, uh, were probably the most strict in their language. For example, within the Dead Sea Scrolls, they found um, things were talked about on the Sabbath day that people were not allowed to carry children at all. Um, some of you are like, that's a great day. You know, <laughs> I don't want to carry around my kid today. This is Sabbath. You know, we're going to make Sabbath day every day, all right? Um, you have to walk on your own. Figure it out. But that was one of the prohibitions. Could not assist in the birthing of an animal. So, you know, if an animal is uh, having a, a child, um, they would have to wait till the next. There was no assistance allowed. They would have to wait till the next day. Or if an animal fell into a pit, they would leave that animal in that pit until the next day, until the Sabbath day was over. I'll give you an example just to kind of illustrate this. If a building were to fall, you were allowed, based on the, the prohibitions, you were allowed to remove enough rubble to search for any victims alive or dead. And if there were victims that were alive, they would permit you to pull out the, the alive victims, but anybody that was dead, they would leave them there until the next day. Don't mess with them until the Sabbath is over. You can hear some very strict legalistic language uh, within these, these pieces of literature that really guided the, the Jewish way of life when it came to honoring and obeying the Sabbath. Jesus' day, Jews had a very strict interpretation when it came to Sabbath laws. There was an inflexible connection between Sabbath traditions and the hope of the Messiah's coming. Look at this text in Jeremiah 17, verse 24. But if you obey me, says the Lord, and do not carry on your trade at the gates or work on the Sabbath day, and if you keep it holy, then kings and their officials will go in and out of these gates forever. There will always be someone on the throne, a descendant of David, sitting on the throne here in Jerusalem. Kings and their officials will always ride in and out among the people of Judah in chariots and on horses, and this city will remain forever. So you can see there is this, this inflexible connection between if you honor, if you cease from all activity on the Sabbath day, and this promise that there would still be on the throne a descendant of David, a Messiah. So you can see that there was this deep connection. If we honor this to the T, if we cease from all activity per the language of the law, then, then there is still this hope that we can hold on to that there will be a descendant on the throne forever. It was a way for Jews to honor the holiness of God. In Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11, I'm not going to read them. They'll be up on the screen. Uh, this comes straight from the Ten Commandments, the law that was given. Again, really outlining for, for the people of God what it looked like for them to honor, uh, to honor the Sabbath day, but to also bring holiness to God. Now, just as a side note to keep in mind, uh, I don't really have time to jump into this, uh, but I'm going to. Uh, anyways, um, I, I want you to think about just a second. The people of God. Remember, they were in slavery. They were in Egypt for over 400 years. And, and all they ever knew was work, work, work. When it came to, they, they knew nothing about what it looked like to have a relationship with God. So, so keep in mind, people are in slavery for 430 years Finally, they come out of Egypt. They get into the wilderness. Moses is in charge uh, of leading this group of people who know nothing about what it looks like to be in relationship vertically with God, nor what it looked like to be in relationship with one another. They had been slaves for 430 years. 
So that, that's one of the reasons why God is giving them these parameters, these laws, because he wants them to know, here is what it looks like to be in relationship with me, a holy God. They had no idea. And so part of the reason that God has given his parameters is he wants to make sure that there is this system built in place for them to recognize how important it is to take time to just be simply in God's presence. And so because all they knew was work, they they didn't have a Sabbath day in Egypt. It was work. It was work. It was work. Day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six, day seven. It's a new week. Let's keep going. And so God wanted to teach his people. Part of the reason he gives that law is to teach them, to show them, to give them the parameters of what it looked like to be in relationship with God. Because these people had no idea. They had no clue. Uh, They had to be given these parameters to begin to understand what that relationship looked like. Now, that, that law would not be fully fulfilled until the person of Jesus Christ. We also know for Jews, it set them apart from other nations. Um, one writer wrote this about, about a Christian. Uh, says, but this is what we are most at loss about. That you, speaking of a Christian, professing to be pious and supposing yourselves better than others, are not in any particular separated from them and do not alter your mode of living from the nations and that you observe no festivals or Sabbaths and do not have the right of circumcision. So this is a Jew writing about, again, in their mind, in their perspective, there should be this set-apartness when it comes to the honoring of the Sabbath. We know that it also bolstered their Jewish identity. And they also believed that it was a sign of their unique status. There were actually two signs, circumcision and the Sabbath, that really would set them apart from other nations when it came to the relationship with God. Ezekiel 20, verse 12, And I gave them my Sabbath day of rest as a sign between them and me. It was to remind them that I am the Lord who set them apart to be holy. Now, that's really the context. I, I want you to understand how important the Sabbath meant to the Jewish people. It was, it was a non-negotiable. Man, they had some strict prohibitions. Do not do this. You can't carry a child today. You can't help this animal out of a pit. You can't take this dead victim out of the rubble. This is a Sabbath day. You need to cease from all activity. This, is, this has been ingrained in their minds. This is what they knew. And every body of literature that was related to the Jewish way of life would emphasize this point as well. The strict adherence to Sabbath laws among the Jewish people and their misinterpretation of God's law really then becomes the context for the dispute that we see in our two narratives today, in Mark chapter 2 and in Mark chapter 3. It arises from this understanding, really this misinterpretation of what the Sabbath was meant for. I want to talk about these two controversies, really just unpack them for you um, real briefly this morning. First dispute is this. On the Sabbath, the disciples, they pluck grain from a field. Uh, Can you imagine if I just started plucking grain from uh, the field across my street? I don't think that would cause any controversy today, but it did. It did in this context. Look again at Mark chapter 2. Look at the first two verses. Twenty, or Sorry, verse 23 and 24. One Sabbath day as Jesus was walking through some grain fields, his disciples began breaking off heads of grain to eat. But the Pharisees said to Jesus, Look, why are they breaking the law by harvesting the grain on the Sabbath? Pharisees, they, they come to Jesus. Now, the disciples that are engaging in this activity, but Jesus is their master. He's, he's the one that's leading them. Um, they are the disciples. So they bring their complaint to Jesus. Because he's responsible for his students, okay? So they come to him and they say, why are they breaking the law? They're they're plucking grain on the Sabbath. Their claim is the disciples are breaking the law by harvesting grain then on the Sabbath day. 
now that doesn't mean we can't harvest our fields on Sundays. Okay, uh, nothing to do, nothing to do with that. But what what law is being referred to here? Because in, in Scripture, if you actually go a little bit deeper, the law actually permitted anyone, especially the needy, to pluck ears of grain from their neighbor's field as long as they didn't use a sickle. Look at this text, Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 25. This is part of the law. And when you enter your neighbor's field of grain, you may pluck the heads of grain with your hand, but you must not harvest it with a sickle. So the law, the law permits these people to go through their neighbor's field and, and to pluck the grain as long as they are harvesting it with a sickle. So what law are they breaking? Pharisees actually viewed the activity of Jesus' disciples as harvesting, which would, have been, which would have been a violation of the Sabbath law according to the Jewish way of life. Let me give you an example then. Exodus 34, verse 21. So, so where does their complaint come from? It's based on this. It says, you have six days each week for your ordinary work, but on the seventh day you must stop working. Look at this. Even during seasons of plowing and harvest. So yes, they were permitted to walk through the fields as long as, it, as long as it was one of those six days that wasn't the Sabbath. They were allowed to pluck grain from their neighbor's field, but if it was on the Sabbath, they were to cease from all activity. So, so their complaint is this, that they are plucking grain on the Sabbath day. Therefore, from the Jewish mindset, they are harvesting, they are not ceasing from the work that was instructed for them. It's not mentioned here in this particular text, but there's one other element when it came to the, the honoring of the Sabbath. One of the laws within the Sabbath regulations was they were only allowed to walk less than a half a mile. Um, so, so they were not allowed to travel very far on the Sabbath day. They had to stay close to home. It's not indicated here, but that there is this sense that not only are they plucking grain, but they might have been traveling a little bit further than they should have been according to Sabbath regulations. Jesus then has a threefold response to their accusations. We see it in verses 25 through, 20, through 28. He begins by pointing them to Old Testament scriptures. Um, really specifically an event or an incident that involves David. David was, remember David is kind of the, um, the, the prototype for, for what a king Messiah would look like from a Jewish perspective. When they thought of a king, when they thought of a Messiah, they thought of David. They thought of this great warrior that was going to come in. So, so that's why Jesus, Jesus is smart here when he goes to the Old Testament scriptures and when he points them to an incident in Scripture that refers to David, he knows that they're going to resonate with this man because this is a guy they looked up to. When they thought of the Messiah, their mind immediately went to David because he was really the, the prototype of what a king Messiah should look like from their perspective. And so Jesus refers to this particular text. If you want to jot this down, I'm not going to read it this morning, but 1 Samuel chapter 21, 1 through 6. This is what, what Jesus is referring to, an incident that occurred uh, where David uh, would actually eat some of the loaves that had been dedicated in the most holy place. And, and so really what we see in this text, what Jesus is doing is he's indicating that yes, there were strict regulations that were set aside for David, who is a type of the King Messiah, so certainly they could be set aside for Jesus and his companions as well, who really, as we see in our text, is in a situation of far greater urgency. Why? Because Jesus is coming to proclaim the kingdom of God. 
all the way back to chapter 1, verse 15. The kingdom of God is near at his hand. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. So Jesus begins with referring to this incident in the Old Testament. But then number two, and I think this is really the most clear, is Jesus addresses the purpose of the Sabbath. Look at, look at verse um, number 27. Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people, not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. What Jesus is doing is saying, Guys, you, you, are, you are misinterpreting the purpose behind the Sabbath. It, I didn't create people in order to, to meet the requirements of this Sabbath law. No, the Sabbath is a gift that I have given to you that, that, that I want you to enjoy and not become so legalistic in its understanding. So he addresses the purpose and he's saying, I've given the Sabbath to you as a benefit, not to restrict humanity. That is, that is key because from, from the Jewish mindset, again, it was all about restriction. It was all about what I can't do. But Jesus said, I'm giving this to you as a gift. Something that will benefit you spiritually if you understand the true purpose behind it. And then what Jesus does is he does often, he reminds his audience uh, that he is a man who has great authority. Great authority. The Lord, he is Lord of the Sabbath. That's the first dispute. The second is this. Moving to chapter 3, then on the Sabbath, Jesus heals a man with a deformed man. That causes an, uh, an uproar because Jesus heals. But he heals a man on the Sabbath day. Now what's interesting is we see in the text in chapter 3, verse 2, Jesus' opponents, they were so consumed with finding fault in Jesus that they closely watched his every move. I mean, you can just get this picture that they're, they're sitting back they're watching as he travels through. They're, they're listening to what he says, and they're trying to catch him off guard, trying to see him do something that, that would go against their interpretation or understanding of the law. And based on their interpretation of the law, a violation of the Sabbath was worthy of death. Look at Exodus 31, verse 14. It says, you must keep the Sabbath day, for it is, holy day. It is a holy day for you. Anyone who desecrates it must be put to death. Anyone who works on that day will be cut off from the community. So Jesus then, he confronts their, what I would call, burden-heavy and slave-oriented approach to the Sabbath with a few questions. He knows their hearts. They haven't even really addressed their complaint yet. He just knows what they're thinking. And so Jesus looks at him, and he asks him a couple of questions. He says, number one, is it better to do good or to do evil? And then he says to them, is it better to save a life or kill or destroy a life? Essentially what Jesus is asking here is, are people more important or are these strict rules more important? Pharisees, they misunderstood, they misinterpreted the Sabbath. They treated ritual and institution as key and disregarded a pure heart. They were rigid, they were rigid legalists, which was danger, dangerous. This, this danger in thinking that, that God would be satisfied with them if they were sticklers for religious details, even if they were lacking in mercy to others. 
That is dangerous thinking to think, well, if I, if I hold to the letter of the law, but I fail to show mercy, God will be satisfied with me because I, I didn't work on this day and I, I, I didn't take an animal out, out of the pit this day and I followed all of the, the prohibitions. God must be, be pleased with me, but if I fail to give mercy, there is danger in that thinking. They created heavier, not lighter burdens and loads for others. David Garland said this, a fondness for negatives and a long checklist of rules, particularly for other people, can make religious life a burdensome ordeal that never sings nor exalts a religious duties an obstacle course that weeds out weakling sinners. Uh, let me just give you a quick illustration, and then, and then I have one more point to share that really I think will bring all of this home for us this morning. It, it, this is the picture that we have. It, it's that if there is this incredible... Um, student that, that's been taught the piano but been ill-taught. They play the right notes, but sometimes just playing the right notes doesn't make beautiful music. Uh, I might hit you know, the right C chord. I might hit the right D chord. But if, if, if I'm hitting all of the right chords, but I'm playing them in different keys, it's not going to create this beautiful music. And I may be a stickler to the law, and I may, I may check everything off the list, but if I lack in mercy, then I'm still falling short of what God expects of me. So then what are the benefits of the Sabbath for believers today? Because Jesus recognized that they misinterpreted what, what he meant for them as a gift. They misinterpreted, they misunderstood what the Sabbath was designed for in the first place. It was all about this, this mentality of legalism, but Jesus wanted to make certain that they understood the beauty of the Sabbath. Two things, and then I'll be done. So what are the benefits? Number one, the Sabbath, it is a gift from God for our spiritual renewal. Folks, in the 21st century today, especially in America, there is this really overall loss of what I would say spiritual passion, spiritual fervor. And um, for whatever reason that may be, sometimes our weekends have been hijacked in the name of good things, but not the best things. Sometimes our busy lifestyles, which are not necessarily wrong, but sometimes what happens is they take priority and they crowd out time alone with God. David Garland said this, our daily struggles may produce economic triumphs, but they can make our lives a spiritual wasteland. Uh, man, we may toil, we may work hard, and we may celebrate great economic victories, but when we step back and look, where are we spiritually? Where are we in our relationship with God? Because is it victorious or is it this spiritual wasteland? The Sabbath, it's time that allows the believer an opportunity, folks, to, to refuel our tanks to air up our tires on the bike. I mean, if you think about it, a bike that has a deflated tire or tires isn't going very far. Uh, my kids just recently got out their bikes uh, a couple days ago, and, and I believe Iris's tires were both pretty flat. Thankfully, they were just riding in our driveway. Um, but, but I think all of us know if we, get on a, if we get on a bike that has flat tires, number one, we're not going very far. And number two, we're going to work hard and not get anywhere. And, and so part of, the, part of the beauty of the Sabbath, it's a gift that God has given to us because it allows us, it's built in time, it allows us to refuel our tanks. And I think all of us are on, if we're honest in this room, we, we need to be refueled. At some point, at some point in our life, when we get to, to, to empty, our car is not going anywhere. 
And if we're spiritually empty, we're not going to go anywhere. We need to be refueled. And so the Sabbath has been given to us as a gift to refuel our tanks, to spend time in God's presence so that we can be refueled and our tires can be aired up so we can continue to move forward. Neglecting the Sabbath, folks, is to neglect our spiritual well-being. The gift of the Sabbath, it will keep us spiritually healthy. But a warning to us all, we need to guard against that, that legalistic mentality of the Pharisees. We cannot enslave others with a bunch of rules, but instead we need to teach them the gift, the beauty of the Sabbath, that it's been given to us so we can be spiritually healthy, so we can refuel our tanks, so that we can do what God has called us to do. And then number two and finally, in with this, it's a reminder that believers are to be known and set apart for doing good. People of the kingdom must live lives that are different from the world. We see this message all throughout Scripture. We're to be set apart. We're to be different. Uh, the Jews understood the set-apartness when it came to the Sabbath because they, they, they recognized that no other nation around them engaged in this type of activity. They, they knew that, but they missed they missed the beauty behind that set-apartness. We are to be set apart in order to be a blessing for God and for His kingdom. We must be marked as ones who do good. Uh, and we see, uh, that's why Jesus will, will pose the question. Remember, the Pharisees are there. And, and, and they, they are waiting for Jesus to do something on the Sabbath. And so He looks at them and He says, Is it better to do good or to do evil? Is it better to save a life or kill it. And what, what Jesus is trying to get to is the reality that the Sabbath, number one, has been given to us as a gift, but number two, we are to be known and set apart as ones who do good. Scripture talks all about this. Ephesians chapter 2, where God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Philippians 1, 27. Uh, we are to have conduct that is worthy uh, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so what Jesus is trying to really emphasize here is that human need is a moral imperative. He, he recognizes, I'm not going to wait till the next day when the Sabbath is over to heal this man. I have been called to do good. And so he heals the man of his deformed hand. How many of you in here know of a fast food restaurant called Chick-fil-A? <laughs> All right. Chick-fil-A. I think most of us know the story. The American, I'm going to end with this. The American... <clears throat> Fast food chain Chick-fil-A is a favorite among Christians um, because it's God's chicken, right? I think we all, <laughs> that's, the, that's the story. For their, really, it's known for, especially among Christians, for the owner's really unwavering stand against Sunday openings. But it turns out that this unwavering stance does have a little bit of wiggle room to it when needed. But as consistent as their closed-on-Sunday position has been, they're not pharisaical about it. They recognize <clears throat> there can be a need for exceptions. Jesus healed on the Sabbath, and when the Pharisees confronted him about it, he put them in their place, asking, which of you will have a son or an ox fall into a well and will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? For Chick-fil-A, an exception occurred um, not long ago. Uh, I think some of us know the story when the Atlanta International Airport was hit with a complete blackout. One of the world's busiest, if you've ever flown, it's one of the world's busiest airports around here. The blackout resulted in hundreds of canceled flights and countless stranded passengers. While Atlanta's 
government was busy trying to find accommodations for these passengers. They tweeted out that the passengers' meals would be handled by someone else. Lo and behold, Chick-fil-A. They will provide food for passengers. So a store that's always closed on Sunday, they were happy to open their doors on this particular day of rest because thousands of people needed their help. Not only is this a wonderful observance of the fourth commandment, it is Matthew 5.16 lived out as well. Folks, um, reality is this. We need hearts that seek to to do good. When it comes to this honoring, this recognition of the Sabbath, we cannot be pharisaical about it. Uh, We have to recognize, as followers of Christ, we have this call to do good. We have this call to recognize that the Sabbath has been given to you, to me, to Christians, to, to benefit us. To give us time to just be still in God's presence, to refuel our tanks, to, to air up our tires once 